Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Better Call Paul is a production of Lola Media. Say hi, Lola. Hey, everyone. This is Paul Sarker from Better Call Paul. Just wanted to remind you that the show is intended for entertainment purposes only and is not legal advice. I am not your lawyer unless we separately agree for me to represent you. And the views expressed by Mesh and me are solely our own. Hey everyone, welcome back to Better Call Paul, the show where we discuss the legal and business side behind the scenes of Hollywood sports and entertainment. I'm your co-host, Paul Sarker, former Marvel lawyer and current big law media attorney. And I'm your other co-host, Mesh Lakani. Paul, it is award season, clearly, because we just had the Golden Globes and now we had the Emmys and we had the Critics' Choice Award, all the buildup to the mighty Oscars. It seems like the same people keep winning. It is award season, and it's also because of the strike. The award season and festival season are running into each other because, you know, like a lot of the awards ceremonies have been pushed back by a couple months. But you're right. It is the usual suspects. We covered the Golden Globes last episode on Better Call Paul, and we talked about how they did track the polys to a large degree. And then on MLK Day... The 15th, the Emmys took place in Los Angeles and they were broadcast on Fox. And the day before, the Critics' Choice Awards took place in Santa Monica in Airport Hangar. So that's two more award shows for film and television. Emmys is focused on television. Critics' Choice Awards was both. And a lot of the same usual suspects won again. I guess, as you were saying, Mesh, it's across most of the country, it is really cold and wintry. But in Southern California, where Paul from Better Call Paul happens to be <laughs> this week, um, it's been pretty. So, yeah, no, no better place to have an award show than L.A. I mean, it's funny because before we started recording, I was telling Paul how much snow there is everywhere I've been between Dallas and New York. But, of course, you know, good old L.A. and Hollywood, you can't have – you couldn't have awards. I couldn't imagine people getting out of a car – wearing winter coats with snow everywhere, walking in. It'd be hard to show off those fits, which is a big part of the award stuff. But let's kick it off with the, uh, I guess, the Emmys, right? Like the Emmys were yeah. um, the big ones. So the 75th Emmys, like we said, happened in LA, hosted by Anthony Anderson. Not a ton of surprise here. A lot of overlap with the Golden Globes. Succession, got 27 nominations, six wins, uh, including you know the people you'd expect. Kieran Culkin, Matthew McFadden, Sarah Snook, Jesse Armstrong. Roman, Tom, and Shiv. Yes. And the Bear got six Emmys, including Chris Storer, who got Best Writer and Best Director for a comedy series. 
And Beef earned five awards as well, limited series. So for writing, directing, acting. So a lot of the usual suspects won again at the Emmys. Good for them. No surprises, really. Critics' Choice Awards was similar to the Emmys, but it also covers film. A lot of overlap, except I'd say The Morning Show did well. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, it didn't really do that well in the Golden Globes or the Emmys, but they did win a Critics' Choice Award. Paul Giamatti got Best Actor, and I know you love The Holdovers. I did like The Holdovers, I think you probably thought that was well-deserved. And just as a data point, Warner Brothers Discovery did the best of all the studios because their films got 25 nominations, and then their television, basically all their streaming, the HBO stuff, got 23 nominations. So some overlap, but not exactly the same. So, you know, in my head, I'm thinking... Critics' Choice, Emmys, Golden Globes, and then the Paulies would probably be the most important. I'd rank the, the Paulies a bit higher, but uh, I mean, at least with the Emmys and the Critics' Choice. Well, I had award, the Paulies at the top. I oh, the that, you did in that order. Okay, okay. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. I'd yeah. put it on the top, maybe, maybe second. But uh, I think you know the in this case here, there there wasn't any. You know, this is an entertainment show. People were a bit more loose. Hosted by Anthony Anderson were the Emmys. Hosted by Chelsea Handler were the Critics' Choice Award. Both did see, you know, Chelsea you know, Handler used to be in a relationship with Joe Coy. Right, and she threw some shade on him during the episode, saying giving some credit to her writers, which was a whole thing, uh, a callback to the Golden Globe. Sorry. I, I think in this case, it's like, I, li- I like Anthony Anderson. I think he did a good job. Chelsea Handler is very funny. And I think I talked about this in the last episode. These are people that are known in Hollywood. They're both act, they've been in film and TV. And I think it's just, it's part of that group and community. I think that's why it goes so much easier. I don't know. People have a easier time with them when they're making fun of them. I mean, and then of course that leads up to the Oscars uh, that could be hosted by Jimmy Kimmel. And we'll see how that goes. And that'll be the end of the year. Yeah, here Anthony Anderson's throwing his hat in the ring after doing a great job at the Emmys. I I don't don't mind an Anthony Anderson. I think we just want a fun show. We'll see if it's the same people winning. But I think to your point, award season comes around the same time as, you know, in this case, Sundance uh, Film Festivals, Sundance being one of the big ones, right? This year is a little unique because of the strikes, but Sundance. The way I view it is like award season looks back at, you know, who had a great prior year in the participating, like in the qualifying window. And then film festival season is looking forward as to like which new projects from independent producers are going to get funded and distributed. Yeah. And so you're right. There's maybe five to six really critical film festivals. There's many, many smaller ones, but there's Sundance. Tribeca, TIFF, Venice, you know, there's a handful. And Sundance is the first one because it happens January 18th to 28th in Park City, Utah, and in and around Park City, Utah. And, you know, it's cold, but people, it's like a snowy sort of mountain town. Yeah. Uh, people really gear up for the, the, the cold and snow. And I have not been to Sundance, but earlier in my career, shortly after leaving Marvel, I did some work on the talent side. And independent film and film packaging was a big part of what talent is doing, writers, directors in particular, because basically what happens is that's where films go to be sold, right? So you have your agents and they're either going in there with completed films, trying to find distributors, whether it's the streamers or, you know, someone like an A24 or 
if you are a, a hybrid on that is if you're a film agent and you have let's say like a concept with yeah. really strong writer director or stars attached then you can go in with a script and say hey i have this film so and so is attached this person was nominated for an oscar or they just won an emmy the budget's going to be you know 17 to whatever million you know some range and then you may find someone that wants to finance it and distribute it or finance it and then help you sell it so that's what these festivals are about. It's a lot of young, up-and-coming people bringing their talent to bear and establishing It's like deal-making, right? Yeah. It's like it's, it's all about sales, right? So it's that's at least how it started. It's sort of morphed right, to now. Right. A lot of streamers will show off films that they've bought, right, in the prior year, and they'll say, you know, we're doing an exclusive screening of this, which will appear on our platform after a limited theatrical run. So it is a little bit of... It's, it's initially, like, it was about sales, but it's morphed to being a little bit about uh, equal part sales, equal part showing off the films that you've acquired uh, to generate buzz, right? Because all the stars go there. There's a lot of coverage. And Sundance kicks off the season. Yeah, it's like everybody in one place. But if you're like a Netflix and you have a great, you have a great movie or film and it's featured at Sundance and it might win an award or everyone's talking about how Netflix has this really great you know, uh, Sundance movie with Anthony Anderson and like the buzz starts building. It's like a mark, it's marketing for them too. It's getting that like stamp of approval, right? Like you're, we're a Sundance winner or Sundance nominated film. Right. Because, you know, in in theory, people are going in there, especially Sundance, you're going in there with no preconceived notions about the film. I mean, you might know something about the talent and what other people might think about it, but really people are going there and like without a lot of, prior knowledge. So the films are kind of unknown at that point. And if something does really well and it wins an award and it generates a lot of buzz, then that can kick off its theatrical marketing campaign, right? And it it will get sold if it wins something or if it's already been purchased, then it's going to maybe be more successful in the box office or on a platform, right? Because they'll say winner of XYZ prize at Sundance or Cannes or whatever. So it really is just the kickoff to the marketing and sales pitch for that year's films. And so it's just this year it's compressed. So the award season and the festival season are sort of happening at the same time. This is the 40th Sundance. Mm. Again, like I said, great time. A lot of industry leaders and, and key talent attached. UTA, CAA, WME, the usual suspects seem to be the agents with the most talked about films. We can read the, we can read through the list if you want, if you have it. I have a list here. This is um this is a list from variety of like the 16 16- movies that I think is catching everyone's eye. I'm not going to run through the list. I'm going to run through the ones that I'm like, oh, this is interesting. What caught my eye? Like, okay, Kieran Culkin is on a, on a run right now. He's just winning award after award. He's going to be in a movie called Real Pain with Jesse Eisenberg, Jesse Eisenberg of The Social Network. I thought another interesting one was Freaky Tales with Pedro Pascal, who was on another, you know, he he is a Crowd favorite. He's in The Last of Us. Having a moment, sure. He's definitely yeah. having a moment. And so what a great Mandalorian. place. Mandalorian. Uh, between The Mandalorian, The Last of Us, he's been, him and Kieran Culkin have been doing some funny beef with each other between the different awards. Like, they're getting the attention. He's in a movie called Freaky Tales, which is the same people that brought us. Which is dedicated to Angus Cloud, the guy, who, the Euphoria star. Yeah. Yeah, but it's in the same makers of Half Nelson um, and, and the folks who brought us Captain Marvel, uh, funny enough. So that I thought that was interesting. Yeah, so Love Me with Steven Yoon and Kristen Stewart. That one looks interesting to me because, uh, I mean, at least according to the description, it's like 
somewhat dystopian, like Wally meets her, yeah. but with live action yeah. actors. That sounds cool. Um, um, it does sound cool. And Steven Yeun, I like the, both. I like both. I think Steven Yeun is also having a moment like beef. I think people loved him in The Walking Dead. Haven't seen him for a little bit. He's also the voice of uh, the main character in Invincible, the Amazon um, animated show. But I like the fact that he's been in beef. He's won an award. It's kind of like it's, he was good at Minari too. Oh, that's right. Minari is kind of yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so Minari won. Um, it was nominated for for six nominations at the at the Academy Awards. But I think it's interesting how a guy like Steven Yeun, it's nicely planned. Like he just won all these awards at Beef, and then he's going to be he's got a feature at Sundance, and so that, I think that's pretty interesting. One that came to mind for me, and I think this woman is having a great moment, Margot Robbie. You know, I think she's coming up as like Lucky Chap is her production company. And obviously that production company has already done two really big films. We had Barbie and, of course, Saltburn, which may have not done that well in the box office. But a lot of people are talking about this movie. It's been streamed a ton of times. It's all over social media. And I think that um, right now Margot Robbie is having that moment of, wow, is is she like the next – you know, A24, does she just make hits? Her movie is going to be called My Old Ass, and it's going to be starring Audrey Plaza and Maddie Ziegler. Um, so that will be interesting. And I think um, I think the other one that interested me was um, Steven Soderbergh's got a movie with Lucy Liu. And then, of, of course, Will Ferrell uh, has, got a, has got a movie coming out as well. So it's got a decent lineup, I think, of interesting movies. A couple years ago, I remember we went to TIFF because Jessica worked on a film that was going to be sold, and then it did get sold. And it's a fun time, right? Because the people that work on films, when you work on something and you're in an independent, you have no idea whether it's going to be distributed. When I was at Marvel, we knew that anything we made was going to be released. But that's a really big moment for people when you go and you put your blood, sweat, and tears into a movie, and then you debut it and you find a buyer for it. I mean, that's that's some there's like an excitement and a joy there. Okay, Paul, let's take a quick break and let's get back and we'll talk about Reddit's potential IPO. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Okay, Paul, so Reddit, one of the longest-running social network platforms that's out there is had plans for an IPO in 2021. Obviously the market had shut down. IPOs are really hard to do right now. I, I think more from a demand aspect and companies not doing well post IPO. If we think about tech companies, you know, Instacart recently had an IPO. It did okay. Reddit has been waiting to do an IPO and now it's talks again to get one going. The most recent valuation in 2021 was 10 billion. But IPO market is still pretty tough right now, even though we might see the markets moving up, especially tech companies are having a tough time uh, because they're so overvalued or a lot of them are very overvalued in the private market. And this is a social media company in the ad business at the end of the day, a very tough business to be in, as we've covered that quite a bit amongst like all the other platforms we've talked about between streaming and you know whether a subscription, like that market is tough. Reddit. 
for fans of, of BCP, I did an AMA on Reddit three months into launching BCP. It was about Marvel. As you said, Reddit is actually, according according to this, there's one aggregator that uh, said as of, as of October 2023, it was the 18th most visited website on all of the internet. Gets about uh, 70 million active daily users. Yes. And like you said, it focuses on community authenticity. People can talk and chat and and you know share their thoughts on whatever they want and support things that they agree with. And it's supposed to sort of be like decentralized and not have some corporate overlord. However, you know, at the end of the day, it's about money. They do have a six dollar a month premium tier, but it's basically monetized through advertising, and it's not yet profitable. As you said, uh, it was founded in two thousand five by. Alexis Ohanian and Stephen Hoffman. And, you know, Alexis Ohanian, you may have heard earlier on this a prior episode, is married to Serena Williams. And then, it, you know, it settled with Advance, which is the parent company of Condé Nast. And yeah, they wanted to go public a couple of years ago, but they delayed that, probably because the environment wasn't conducive and there was a pandemic and all that. Now they're thinking about doing it again. And I guess the Reddit users are not thrilled about it. That seems to be the <laughs> yeah. general tone. But, you know, I I can see why you would do it if you are an early investor yes. in Reddit and you want to cash out before the value goes away. Well, there's a ton. Look, there's a ton of people. I mean, Reddit's been around forever. For those who have heard of Y Combinator, YC, that's produced companies like Dropbox and Airbnb. And obviously, Sam Altman was in the first class of, of YC that he ended up finding um, OpenAI. Uh, Reddit came out of that like early, early Airbnb batch. So it's been around for a really long time. Um, and a lot of investors, besides like, you know, it sold to Condé Nast early, then they bought it back. And then, you know, now they're going for this IPO. And there's a ton of people that put a lot of money that essentially want to get it, you know, they want, they want to get their liquidity. The thing here is that We've seen what's happened to companies, everyone from like the Disney's of the world. Right now, people are being really tough on content businesses. And, you know, Reddit did uh, 2023 ad revenue is said to be 800 million, which was up 20% from the year prior. Look, that's great. 800 million is great. Is it get you a valuation that you want? And I think that's going to be the biggest question. Is the valuation going to be too high? What will it be? It, it, it might it might go public for less than 10 billion. We never know. But I think the other thing to think about is that like these content businesses are tough because one, you're selling, it's not about like the 800 million. You have 70 million people using the platform. On, what you said, it was on a... Um, was it on a daily, daily basis? basis? On a daily basis, which yeah. is huge. It's just the amount of revenue revenue per user is on the lower side. And if you compare content businesses, like ad-based content businesses don't make that money, much money per user. You know, obviously Facebook is different because they've built an ad platform. But in this case, I think it's it's pretty tough. And so I think it really just comes down to what's the price going to be? And are people going to be happy with that price? Because a lot of people who... Companies were valued pretty high in 2021. They're probably not going to see that price now in 2023. And the markets are pretty ruthless. Uh, so I agree with all of that. And I think the tricky thing with IPOs, which maybe we should just explain really quickly, IPOs are stand for initial public offering. That's when a company that is private initially for the first time sells shares to public investors. In the US, there's all these restrictions on public companies because they have to disclose all this information and there's reporting standards. 
that's all stems from securities regulation to prevent retail investors from being duped, right? From investing in companies that they don't have transparent information about. So all investing is tied to risk, but what we don't want as a society is for people to be duped or to fall for scams and invest in companies that don't have, you know, that aren't transparent about what they're doing and don't disclose their risks and their business plans and all that. Private companies, you're presumed to be sophisticated enough to make your own decisions, ask your own questions, do your own diligence. So there's less restriction on that, but the market for investment is a lot smaller with private companies. Although, you know, there's pros and cons to being a public company. It's generally yeah. viewed as a great thing. Yes. If you're a pre-IPO, if you're holding pre-IPO stock in a company, when it goes public, it's usually a cash out. It's a, it's a windfall event for people who've been supporting, investing in the company for years and years, especially if it's a company that hasn't been profitable, hasn't been making distributions. This is sort of where you cash out. But that, not every IPO goes up after that, or yeah. not every company's stock yeah. price goes up after the IPO. One example that comes to mind, um, because it, it bit me a little bit, was Rivian, right? So Rivian... Yeah. IPO'd at 80 bucks, it went up to like 100, maybe 120, and now it's like 15 bucks, right? right? And so part of that is because there's a lot of exuberance when companies are private and then they go IPO and people are thinking, oh, well, we don't want to lose out on the next big thing, right? The next Tesla, the next Facebook, whatever. And so the valuations get pushed beyond something that they can support, and then it comes crashing back down. So that could happen, but it's not necessarily going to impact the founders unless they're you know, uh, under some lockup, or they can't sell their shares. Yeah, and I and I think I think a lot of these things. What happens is uh, at this point, there's been so many rounds of Reddit done that like they sell these secondary shares at a at a they discuss a price, and obviously in the public markets you can just do that buy and sell whenever you want. I think the other benefits to a public company is that it keeps you reporting. To your point, Paul, like you can't just do what you want. You're at the mercy of not only like every person. But all like the major, major funds out there that are buying your stock for like an index fund or whatever it might be. And so I think in general, companies now, you know, things are still correcting in the private markets. And I think this is what, where everyone's very nervous is that all that ZERP money, as they say, the zero interest rate environment that created like the overvalued companies, they're valued really high pre IPO. And they're all trying to get the money out now because no one's, you know, you, you don't have a tiger or a, a soft bank coming in and giving you a ton of money and like getting a lot of early people out. You have to go public. And so generally, by the way, I'm a fan of Reddit. I think it's amazing. I would love to see it be successful. It will be interesting to see, it, for those who remember, one of the most famous Reddit moments in the last few years came from Wall Street bets that essentially were moving the needle on stocks like GameStop and AMC. They made a movie about it called Dumb Money with Paul Dano. And, right. and so like, would who knows? Maybe would they would become would, its, its own meme it, stock. Exactly. I mean, would they become their own meme stock? Very possible. You know what? I'm, and this is, I, I'm a fan of Reddit too. I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm in the 70 million daily active users, but I do go on from time to time because it's like a good way to sort of like, find people that are talking about whatever nuanced niche thing you want to talk about or share your opinion on. Um, but I would just say, if the company goes public, you know, as you said, there's there's more reporting and there's more pressure, right? There's quarterly results. There's annual results. You have to, like, what's the next big thing? Pursuit of growth. So people on Reddit are saying, well, okay, that could be the beginning of the end of the Reddit we know and love because they're going to increase the ads. They're going to put in a paywall or maybe put more stuff behind the paywall you know, maybe they'll kill the special sauce that makes Reddit appealing to 70 million people yeah. per day. Yeah. Right? And that, that's the other thing is like, is a change of control 
going to make what is great about the company different. And if that's the case, then what are you really buying? Yeah, I mean, we'll see. I mean, I think that I think there's been so much change already um, between the original owners and you know that this is like a structured company, well into the billions that have a lot of people, a lot of big shareholders right. that are involved, and they're making like close to a billion dollars in ad revenue. So I think they're there already. Like I think it seems like no matter what this this community has existed, like the Reddit community is like lasted so long and through so many different changes of the company. So we'll just see if like, if the company can, can do well and perform well, but I think it's got one of the strongest communities to like potentially get people excited about it. If you think about a wall street bets, I'm curious to see how that plays out. No, it's very ironic that if it, Reddit could become its own meme stock. Let's take a quick break because one of the things we're talking about is if, if Reddit goes public, it's going to be subject to a lot more reporting standards and scrutiny that it hasn't really had to deal with before. I mean, obviously, yeah. your private investors can be very demanding and want information, but it's not necessarily the same degree of transparency that you need to provide to if you're public. And as we t- we're going to take a break and come back with some of the public tech companies who have been very successful are facing pressure from shareholders to cut costs, to expedite growth, and it's led to a wave of layoffs hitting the tech industry. So, Mesh, coming back, pretty wild, right? Because 2023, the stock market, the crypto market were gangbusters. Everything was going up. Really strong ending in both markets. Things were red hot. And it seemed like we were in this Goldilocks scenario where the Federal Reserve had managed to tame inflation without triggering a recession. And people were just like exuberant. Now, I don't know that that has changed, but it's 2024. And... Rates haven't really fallen. The economy, the labor market at large is still doing well. So people are thinking, well, maybe rates are going to stay up, stay elevated. Inflation isn't as bad as it has been, but prices are still really expensive. Debt is still expensive. And one of the things that we're seeing, early trend for the year, is that tech is doing some layoffs. Now, in the grand scheme of things, it's maybe eight to 10,000 layoffs as opposed to several hundred thousand from last year. But it's still something that could be concerning because we have to evaluate, is this is the tech industry an outlier or is it a canary in the coal mine that's signaling broader trends and layoffs that might impact other areas such as like industrial, banking, whatever, like just mass media? And, you know, I don't know. I don't have a read on it. I know you're more close to the tech space, but there's been layoffs wide across the board. Yeah, I think, you know, one thing to think about is that it just goes back again to zero interest rate environment, things go up, you get a ton of money. There's a lot of like VC money pouring into companies. Public stocks are like going up high and people just start hiring a lot of people and they start hiring and hiring and hiring and hiring. And then when they have to fire people, they don't fire them in the, we actually need to fire, let's say a hundred people, but let's do it in increments of 10. And then let's not do layoffs right before the holidays. Let's do layoffs in like in the brand new year. And so I think, Companies that have been smart about this have like did did their big layoffs and just like took the hit, you know, like, hey, we got to like get rid of a lot of people here. But then a lot of folks just kind of were like they're they just weren't being able to cut the cord on a very large basis. And so I think that's one aspect here. I think that the other like also just not wanting to fire people before the holidays. I think the other thing, too, is that I think people are coming to terms with the fact that the world in tech is changing And so in in tech, like 
if we think about AI, and this has been an, not maybe an excuse or, or this is how people are preparing, is that what's really happening is that if AI is the future, then AI should be the future in terms of like employment as well and replacing a lot of folks like in the technology space. So like one engineer should be able to do what five engineers doing it can do with like AI help. And so that's another reason for people to like kind of cut down their expenses. Also, a lot of folks are moving from highly paid U.S. workers that demand a really, really high salary because, again, there was a period of time where the Facebooks of the world, the Amazons of the world were competing with each other. And then all the startups that had raised tens of hundreds of millions of dollars were competing for the same engineers. So now you're paying an engineer like two hundred and fifty to four hundred thousand dollars. You can now move that offshore because there's still so much talent in South America and Africa and, and Europe. And so I think these two trends are really kind of coming together right now. And folks are, I think, preparing for it. And then, of course, I think the last part is that there's certain sectors within these companies that are struggling. Right. I mean, so I think your analysis is that it's not one particular cause, right? It could be interest rates are high. It could be companies grew too fast. It could be that, hey, you know, and in any given company in any given time, and I talked to one of my friends who's an entrepreneur, he's like, there could be 10 to 15% of the employees that just aren't worth their you know, salary, right? Their productivity. Totally, totally. You know, they're not great employees. And sometimes they can just use this business environment like, oh, company A, B, and C did layoffs. So this is a good time for us to do layoffs. Like, because you know, if people aren't cutting it, then maybe it makes sense to transition them out if you've given them like an opportunity to improve and they haven't. So there's that aspect of it. Then there are certain segments like, you know, you want to focus less on maybe ad sales and more on growing AI tech or yeah, exactly. an office from an expensive city, exactly. like, you know, Austin or San Diego to a cheaper city, like in a different country. There's all these sorts of factors. But traditionally, these companies like, you know, Google, Apple, Amazon, they haven't really been doing, I mean, up prior to last year, they didn't really do a lot of layoffs, but that doesn't mean they're immune to it. And they all have shareholders. Exactly. Right? So if there's a way to say, hey, you know, can we get the same value from um, a more efficient use of our spend, then, then they're going to try to do that. I don't think it means that the people who are laid off were necessarily bad employees. It just, it could be a bunch of factors. But I do have sympathy for someone who was working at a company that laid off 25% of its staff because that's a really tough thing to prepare for or to rebound from. Yeah, and like they could be new hires, right? Because like I think it goes back right. to a bunch of people were hired too fast. Oh my God, we don't need them. There was an example of this company, Cloudfair, let go a bunch of folks and a woman who was was recently fired by them recorded the firing on video and it went viral on TikTok and on X. And it was basically the, the people who were firing her weren't her manager. It was just these people she's never met before. And they said that it HR, was yeah. it was an it was a performance issue. And she was like, I've never been told I had a performance issue. If anything, my they've told me my performance has been great. And the theme that the commentary was like, these people weren't admitting that they overhired. That's that's what they just needed to admit that they overhired. They didn't actually need her and they were letting it go. And they were kind of blaming her that it was a performance issue thing. And I think this has been a a big issue generally in tech is that the number of hires shows success. When in fact, if you're in the public right, you're markets, you're growth. Exactly, right? exactly. Right. You don't want to. You don't want to be in an environment that's growing and you don't have enough people to do the work. Yeah. So then you overhire, but it's not an exact science. And I would say I watched that video and I think it was poorly handled by HR. But I think one thing 
maybe that wasn't coming across is like the vast majority of employees are at will. And so yeah. they can be let go for no reason yeah, at all, as sure. long as it's not a discriminatory reason. So I agree the company shouldn't have said it's performance-based if it wasn't, but they don't necessarily need a reason legally to let go of someone. <laughs> yeah. it's, just, it's, not, it's not fortunate and it's not how you should conduct business, but that's the way our labor laws work. I mean, if you have a contract that says, I can't be let go unless I've done something wrong, that's one thing, but most employees don't have that. And yeah, you can make an argument that, hey, it was discrimination or something like that, but you would have the affirmative burden to prove it was a discriminatory firing or a wrongful termination. And that's a hard thing to prove. So I agree the company shouldn't make up a fake reason, but they don't need a reason either. Totally. And I think the other thing to think about is that we are in a different time, man. People are recording stuff and like going viral on TikTok. That is makes me so nervous of, um, you know, just generally people say, Oh, like I'm. I'm glad I didn't grow up in today's age uh, because everything would be filmed on TikTok and or it would be would be then put on TikTok. And I think in this case it's interesting because I think folks have to think about how they're going to hire or fire people because they don't want that's a that's a comms issue. Then when you your remember, company is out there, do you remember um, the there was a company called like Better.com. The, it was like a mortgage lender. And the CEO did a Zoom with the entire company. And he laid off like a huge section of the company on a Zoom in front of everyone. And he got a lot of flack for that. But I, yeah, I mean, I agree. There's a human touch. And you got to realize like laying someone off has a huge impact on their life. So I get it if you're, you know, working for the company and you're representing the shareholders and you're looking at the spreadsheet and you're saying we have to get to X number, which means we have to do this percent. But every single person in that percent, I mean, it's going to have an impact on their life. Like some people are going to be able to bounce back quickly. Some people are going to be really negatively impacted by it for a while. Some people relocated or, or gave up other opportunities to take that job. And she'd only been there in that particular example for four months. So it's like not much of a trial period. So it's really unfortunate time. I would say the only thing, the only silver lining is, you know, it doesn't seem to be a huge amount of layoffs. Yeah. Like I said, eight to 10,000 so far in the industry. But it's not a great sign. And I hope it doesn't spread to other industries. I mean, you can see Citigroup announced that they're going to lay off 20% of their employees in the next two years. Macy's is around 4%. So it is, listen, layoffs are a constant part of the economy. But, and they've been, I think, historically low, but it is an unfortunate thing. Well, if we we look at it uh, from like, okay, you're a CEO of a public company and you have shareholders and those shareholders could be, you know, random Joe, John Doe, who owns like a IRA and has some stocks in it and it's their retirement account, you want those stocks to go up. And one of the easiest ways to cut your cost, unfortunately, is, is people and real, uh, reallocating uh, resources. And I think, you know, this goes to the two examples I thought were interesting was that Google's cutting jobs at Pixel, Nest, and Fitbit. That might be reallocated to more of their, their AI work. Because they have to be right. competing with OpenAI, they have to be competing with Apple, they have to be competing with Meta. And then I thought another interesting one was Pixar, you know, having to cut staff because they're dependent on the success or distribution of their films, which would be Disney. And if Disney's having some troubles too with streaming services, they have to cut costs as well. And so they're looking at other things. And it all kind of connects together. But ideally, you know, people get the company's back organized. They start making that money again. They start growing. They start rehiring. 
Right, exactly. And it's not like no one running these companies or these divisions has a crystal ball. Like we'll need X amount of employees next year. There's an, it's inexact. So, you know, they try to give it their best guess and hire so that they are able to grow. Sometimes they, they guess wrong. And sometimes people, you know, aren't living up to the expectations when they were hired. And sometimes businesses change and you want to reallocate resources. So there's a lot of other factors. It doesn't mean the economy is tanking. It just means things are transitioning. Good luck to anyone that has unfortunately been laid off and hopefully you land on your feet quickly. Well said, Paul. I think that's a good place for us to stop this episode. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast, Apple, Spotify, wherever you choose to listen. Follow us on Better Call Paul, the podcast, Instagram, TikTok. Make sure you follow me on X at Mesh Lakani. Better Call Paul is produced and edited by Valentino Rivera and assistant producer Lisa Sanders. Have a great week. Thanks, everyone.